Today on Blue 58, let's talk coaches. The Packers have a new one. Let's meet Jerry Gray, then talk about how the two most important coaches on the Packers, Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin, did in 2019. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Got a lot to cover in this one, so let's dive right into it. The Packers only had one coaching vacancy this offseason after Mike Pettin returned officially. uh, The only place that they had to make a hire was in the secondary. Jason Simmons uh, moved on to a, uh, join the Carolina Panthers coaching staff, so they had to hire a secondary coach, and it now looks like the Packers have made their hire. Matt LaFleur is bringing in Jerry Gray to replace Mr. Simmons, uh, Gray most recently of the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't have a ton to add here. You can look up his biographical information. He has a long and extensive history as both a defensive backs coach and a defensive coordinator in the NFL, and as a former Pro Bowl caliber player in the NFL. He knows his stuff. He's had a lot of success in the NFL. He's coached up some really, really great players in just about every place he's been. Washington, Minnesota, Buffalo, Tennessee, all over the place he's had success with his defenses or defensive backs. The thing I really like about this hire is that it's an outside voice, someone who can add a little bit more context to to what the Packers are doing on defense, a little bit of a different perspective. There don't seem to be any apparent connections between Gray and Mike Pettin's existing defensive staff, which I think is a good thing. Uh, He's a pro's pro, so it's not going to be a problem integrating into the staff, and any experience that he has is just going to be able to to grow that the overall knowledge base on the defense. I think that's the real win for this hire. Not only is he a great coach, but he's a, a new, experienced voice that can add to what the Packers already have rather than just being someone who, who came up with Mike Patton or somebody he worked with at a previous stop. I think it's good to add those sort of players or coaches whenever you can. Get a little bit of new blood, get some new ideas into the organization. But I will readily admit that it's hard to come up with a real substantive opinion about any assistant coach that the Packers have. Really, it's hard to do that about any coach on the Packers, head coach, defensive coordinator, or otherwise. Evaluating coaches and coach, or head coaches and coaches in general, I think is harder than we are led to believe. And yet a lot of football discussion centers around the performance of a head coach, a defensive coordinator, a special teams coordinator. People want coordinators hired and fired all the time. But I'm not sure we have a real good understanding of what it is exactly that they do or what it is that they can actually control. Because I think a lot of the factors that determine the success or a failure of a head coach is are out of their control. And a lot of the things that are in their control aren't really widely known or well understood. How much of a win or a loss is attributable to coaching? How much of bad execution is the result of coaching? Look last year at the first Packers-Vikings game as an example. The Packers built a big lead, the Vikings came back. But then the Packers closed them out with some good execution late on both offense and defense. So they built a big lead. Well, that's a good opening script some good coaching, and some good execution. The Vikings also allowed the Packers to build a big lead by turning the ball over. That's some coaching, but mostly good execution and maybe a little bit of luck. Some fumbles 
bounce the right way and suddenly you're in business with some short fields. But then the Vikings rally back in that game. That could be some bad coaching, but it also might be bad execution. But then the Packers get a key interception late and salt the game away. Is that interception the result of good coaching, good execution, a little bit of both? How much of both? I think there are ways to evaluate what coaches do. And I think a lot of it is kind of common sense. But I think you also need to have something of a system. And to build a system, first you have to understand the effects of coaching. How much of a game does a coach really affect? There's a paper that was discussed at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference a couple years ago called How Much Do Coaches Matter? It was written by Christopher R. Berry and Anthony Fowler. Early on in that paper, they quote a study that says about 21% of the variance in an NFL team's success is attributable to coaching. So the change in how a team does from year to year, about 21% of that is because of the coach. They wanted to see if that was true. So to do that, they looked at every NFL season from 1922 through 2016, and here's what they found. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs, and this could get a little bit long, so just bear with me, but I think it's important to get the context. Quoting now from the paper, We look at virtually the entire history of the NFL from 1922 through 2016, although the results are similar if we just focus on the modern era. As with baseball, we analyze points scored, points allowed, point margin, and victories. NFL coaches clearly affect points scored and the point margin. Estimates imply that coaches explain 18-25% to of within-team, between-season variation in points allowed and point margins. The estimated effect on points scored is slightly smaller, although this is not true if we just focus on the modern era. The estimated effect on victories is also not statistically significant if we only focus on the modern era, presumably because football teams play few games per season, so the power of this particular test is low. We also have season-level data for some other outcomes of interest for the NFL during the modern era of 1970 through 2016. Specifically, we example fumbles per game, penalties committed per game, opponents' penalties per game, and the proportion of offensive plays on which a team passes. Interestingly, we find that coaches matter a lot for fumbles and for the penalties a team commits. Coaches' effects explain about 30% of the within-team-between-year variation in these variables, with some coaches apparently doing a much better job preventing fumbles and penalties than others. Interestingly, coaches appear to have little effect on penalties committed by opponents, perhaps revealing that there's not much a team can do to systematically induce penalties by their opponents. And quite surprisingly, coaches don't appear to meaningfully differ in their use of passing versus rushing. Clearly, coaches could simply force their teams to pass or run more often, but we don't find much evidence that coaches systematically differ from one another on this dimension. Perhaps most coaches are following the same rules of thumb and are getting their teams close to the optimal share of passing versus rushing, end quote. Now that's a long quote, so let's summarize it here. They looked at or discovered that there was significant input from coaches on points scored, points allowed, point margins, victories, 
fumbles per game, penalties committed per game, and the proportion of offensive plays on which a team passes. And they found that coaches have the biggest effect on points scored and allowed, point margins, fumbles per game, and penalties committed per game. I think it's important that these seem to have a statistical correlation with coaches because I think a lot of these are process-driven. And process with NFL coaches, I think, is what matters most. Former NFL scout Chris Landry wrote a good article on evaluating coaches for his website, Landry Football. And I've linked both this article and the uh, Sloan conference paper in your show notes. So check those both out for some further reading. Um, Here is the quote from Landry on why process is important. Quote, I think the biggest difference between the way a football person, coach or a scout, looks at the game versus the way the media or fans look at a game is that fans and the media focus on the result. Football people focus on the process because it is the process that creates the result. You don't go out and execute a play or game plan and win, you execute a process and the success of that process relative to your opponent determines the result, end quote. Process, he argues, and I agree with him, is more valuable than outcomes. If your process is good, good outcomes will follow. There are really four results you can have in a given sports situation if you're looking at process. You can have a good process that gets you a good result. You can have a good process that gives you bad results. That's just generally bad luck. You can have a bad process that gives you a good result. That's kind of just dumb luck. And then you have bad processes that result in bad results. And that's how bad teams stay bad. Process is more valuable than outcomes. And that end quote, I think, is really important. Success of that process relative to your opponent determines the result. This quote acknowledges that your opponent matters and specifically your opponent's players matter. Players are, after all, somewhere between 75 and 80% of this equation, according to the data that we've looked at. And I think we also need to acknowledge an element of culture here when we look at coaches too. It does exist. You can have a good culture for your team or a bad culture for your team. It's pretty nebulous, but it is something that matters. How do you evaluate it? I'm not really sure. Kind of a feel thing. So let's take all of that and make a report card of sorts for both Matt LaFleur and Mike Patton. Maybe a grading rubric is a better way of putting it. We're going to look at those categories that both the the paper and uh, a little bit of what Mr. Landry identified. And we're going to compare their league rankings to where the Packers did last year. That's important for showing where Matt LaFleur performed versus Mike McCarthy and where Patton performed this year versus his job last year with very different personnel on that side of the ball. I also wanted to look uh, for a few general raw numbers, a DVOA for both, just because that's a general kind of reliable stat for indicators of success, expected wins and losses for Matt LaFleur. We've talked about that one in previews a lot. Record in close games for Matt LaFleur. I want to see if that varies from him to McCarthy. And then turnovers, I guess, are takeaways for, for Mike Pettin. So, all that background, what can we actually evaluate about coaches and what effect does it actually have on the game? How was Matt LaFleur's rookie season? We're going to be numbers heavy here, but I'll try to sprinkle in a little analysis too. The overall DVOA is not super exciting. In 2019, the Packers were 10th overall 
bolstered pretty strongly by their defense. They had the eighth overall offense, 11th ranking for passing and fourth in rushing. But that's not a big change from where they were in 2018. DVOA, they were 19th overall last year under McCarthy. Their offense was 7th overall. They were 12th in passing and 3rd in rushing. Basically the same. The overall improvement in their DVOA ranking is largely fueled by a jump in defense, and we'll talk about that in a second. The big takeaway for me here is that, at least efficiency-wise, the offense didn't seem to change all that much from 2018 to 2019. At least in principle, it doesn't seem like coaching made a big difference here for the Packers. But I think it is worth noting, and it is worth a little bit of something to the Packers, that they didn't see a big drop in efficiency given a few factors. They didn't add any new skill positions really on offense. Jace Sternberger was there, but he was out for most of the year. Other than that, everybody just got a year older. And on top of that, Devontae Adams was gone for 25% of the season. So with all that considered, it's probably impressive that they put up roughly the same efficiency numbers in the first year of the Lafleur system that they did in 2018. Expected wins and losses. This is the amount of wins that the numbers project that you should get based on your point differential. For the Packers in 2019, they were expected to get just about 9.7 wins. So a little less than 10 and 6. Their actual record was 13 and 3. In 2018, the Packers were expected to get a little bit more than seven wins, about a 7-9 season. Their actual record was 6-9-1, though under Mike McCarthy, they were 4-7-1. To put a point on this, in short, the Packers overachieved with Matt LaFleur and underachieved last year with Mike McCarthy. I don't know how much of that you put on coaching, but it seems at least coaching adjacent. This does tend to be a little bit on the fickle side, though, as far as these numbers go, so take it with a grain of salt. Record in close games, the Packers were much better in 2019. They were 6-1 and one in games decided by 7 points or less. Two of those wins came on the very last play of the game. Both Detroit games. Take that, Lions. The Packers were 7-1 and one in one-score games, counting playoffs. In 2018, though, they were just 3-5-1. and one. one of those losses does come with a bit of an asterisk. That second Bears game, the Packers kicked a field goal to make it 24-17 with 11 seconds to go. They did not collect the onside kick. It, it's a seven-point game in name only, pretty much. It should be also noted that they did throw a pick in the, inter, in the end zone. The possession prior to kicking the field goal, so it may have been a little bit closer than a one-score game. There are some mitigating circumstances there. Again, this is another place where the Packers overachieved in 2019. I don't care. I will take it like the previous one. It does seem a little bit more coaching adjacent than coaching specific, but keep it in the back of your mind. Overall scoring, the Packers ranked 15th in 2019 with 376 points scored. That is actually a bump down in the ranking from where they were in 2018. Last year, they were 14th, but also scored exactly 376 points. This is hilarious to me. Literally no change in the ultimate scoring for the offense. All the hoopla of going and getting a young offensive-minded head coach moving on from Mike McCarthy, getting away from Mike McCarthy's outdated practices, blah, 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 blah. Literally no change. Exactly the same point total. That's not an indictment of Matt LaFleur or praise for Mike McCarthy. It's just funny that it ended up that way. The Packers' margin in wins was actually slightly smaller in 2019 than it was in 2018. 
Their average win in 2019 was by 8.3 points. In 2018, it was by 10.8 points. The Packers were also worse losers in 2019. Their average loss came by 17 points, including playoffs. In 2018, their average loss, just 9.8 points. The wins were a little less big for the Packers in 2019. Their losses were substantially bigger. Interesting that the average Packers win was only just outside of the one-score threshold in 2019. They were very close to being just a one-possession game all the time. Fumbles. Again, exactly the same from 2018 to 2019. In 2019, the Packers fumbled 14 times. In 2018, 14 times. No change at all. Penalties. Another thing attributed to coaching, according to Sloan. The Packers were penalized on offense 65 times in 18 games in 2019. That's 3.6 offensive penalties per game. That is a substantial jump from 2018, where they were penalized just 46 times in 16 games. Uh, that's 2.875 penalties per game. The biggest difference between 2018 and 2019 was false starts and delay of game. Those seem pretty pretty easily hung on coaching. Those seem to be discipline penalties. And if the Packers were lacking discipline in 2019, that would seem to reflect poorly a little bit on coaching. Culture-wise, 2019, the Packers' offense was fun. 2018, not as much fun. Uh, I think that is a fair sentiment. Some people may push back on that a little bit, given how long uh, the the long stretches for which the offense disappeared in 2019. But generally, the Packers seem like a more fun team overall, offense and defense in 2019. And I think you can attribute some of that to coaching. What do we make of all this? Was Matt LaFleur's rookie season a success? Just based on the raw numbers, based on what this research from these two guys showed us, it's hard to call Matt LaFleur's rookie season a success, or at least an improvement over Mike McCarthy, just on the raw numbers, because functionally, he was basically identical to Mike McCarthy. And this is actually something that we explored fairly extensively last offseason and into the start of, of last season. A lot of people, not just me, a lot of people pointed out that the Packers didn't do much on offense. They added Billy Turner and Jay Sternberger, and that was it. Clearly, as an organization, the Packers thought coaching was the problem because they didn't change personnel at all. And with that one change, the Packers did win more. Winning, not necessarily attributable to coaching. Not much else changed. They didn't score more points. They didn't fumble less. They were penalized more. But just on those wins, that is an improvement, I guess. But that brings us back to that other part of this question on coaching, the process. Is Matt LaFleur's process better than Mike McCarthy's? The gut feeling for me is yes, it seems that way. I like his approach pretty good. There were some situations throughout the season where it didn't seem like he was trusting his own process or where he was overthinking things, relying on Aaron Rodgers when he should have relied on Aaron Jones, throwing the ball to Aaron Jones when maybe he should have thrown it to Devontae Adams. Some of that is the players executing, sure, but some of that is on the floor too. So process, though it feels better, I think is still a pretty big question. 
a year into the Lafleur era, I'd say it's fair to say we're not sure on the process. That's something we've got to watch going forward. If you got to put a pass-fail grade on it, I think Matt Lafleur gets a pass. He passes in 2019. A good first season. Not sure exactly how much he improved over Mike McCarthy. We'll see in year two if he's for real, if this culture thing is real, if there's real substantive improvement on offense, or if it really was just some of those bad process, good outcome sort of things. Some good things breaking your way, the Packers being unusually healthy. Let's flip over to the defensive side of things for a little bit. Was Mike Pettin's second year actually good? And I know there's immediately somebody going to be saying, well, of course it wasn't good. They got gutted in the playoffs. Fair. Uh, But overall, there are some numbers that would suggest that the defense was pretty solid in 2019. I think overall, the balance of the season, it was an improvement. DVOA. In 2019, the Packers ranked 15th, 10th versus the pass, 23rd versus the run. 2018, they were 29th. Couldn't stop the pass almost at all. They were 28th against the pass, 23rd again against the run. So no improvement against against the run, but Mike Patton has said that's not a big priority for him. A lot better against the pass. Points allowed. In 2018, the Packers allowed 400 points. In 2019, down to 313. So a big improvement there. That's something that apparently is tied into coaching. Penalties on the defensive side of the ball. The Packers were better in 2019. They committed just 32 defensive penalties in 18 games, 1.7 per game. In 2018, they committed 36 in 16 games, two and a quarter per game. The big difference here is defensive holding. In 2018, the Packers were called for eight defensive holds. In 2019, just three. Josh Jackson and Bashad Breeland were called for six of the eight defensive holds in 2018. Neither of them really played for the Packers. Bashad Breeland was not on the Packers. Josh Jackson barely played. You get rid of the guys who do the bad things, you get better outcomes. Imagine that. Takeaways. The Packers improved here in 2019 as well. In 2018, they took the ball away just 15 times, 29th in the league. In 2019, it was up to 25, 7th in the league. Turnovers, takeaways, whatever, are kind of fickle. Is this a sustainable trend? I'm not sure. I kind of don't think so. But having a good pass rush like the Packers seem to now is going to help sustain that. Overall, looking at the culture, I think in 2018, it seemed like the Packers didn't have much of an identity on defense. It was a week-to-week sort of thing. It was week-to-week results. What kind of defense were you going to get? You weren't sure. In 2019, it felt like the defense at least had an identity. There wasn't as much of a consistent, well, there still wasn't necessarily a consistent performance, but you at least felt like you knew what you were going to get from these guys. It wasn't always good, but it was at least a known commodity. So the big question here, looking at these numbers, the numbers that did improve, fewer points allowed, more takeaways, fewer penalties, was Penton better in 2019 or did he just have better players? I think we can pretty much chalk this one up to players, but maybe that's enough. And maybe the questions about whether or not Mike Penton should come back, maybe he should move on, are missing the point. Because if you're adding more good players and you're just getting better outcomes, maybe the Packers just have to keep adding good defensive players. To that end, and I I should call out a a couple 
questions we have from from listeners over the past couple episodes that kind of hinted at that point. To that point of utilizing players, I think Petten seems to have done a better job in general, both in 2019 and 2018, in utilizing the talent he's got than Dom Capers ever did. There's still some quibbles for me there. Oren Burks, in particular, comes to mind. Mike Petten, anytime you, you hear him talk, talks about wanting to find roles for guys and being able to find a role for anybody. Give him a package of five or six plays that he can use. And don't ask him to do anything outside of that package. Doesn't seem like Oren Burks is even getting that chance. And a guy as athletic as he is, it seems like you've got to be able to find some way to use him. Minor quibble in the grand scheme of things, they did get pretty good results without Oren Burks, but that is kind of an example of just deciding not to use a particular player. If you want to talk process, if you want to look at Petten's results as being process-driven or not, I think Petten does seem to have a clear process, and that is both encouraging and frustrating. You know what you're going to get from Mike Petten. You're going to get, in 2019 at least, Four guys rushing the passer, seven guys dropping into coverage. And he's going to do complex switching in coverages, guys doing simulated pressure, then dropping into coverage, guys coming from who knows where. That's pretty much the Mike Patton experience. The flip side of that is, unfortunately, you always know what you're going to get from Mike Patton. And Mike, uh, not Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan seems to have seen him coming from a mile away. That two-sided coin taken into consideration, I think that leaves us with two clear conclusions. Patton's scheme, first and foremost, is going to bank almost exclusively on his players. If Patton's process is going to be the same all the time, the results are going to have to be player-driven. Either players are executing or they're not. The Packers either have good players on defense or they don't. In 2019, the Packers' defensive players seemed to be good enough to make the difference a lot of the time. Not always. San Francisco, twice. But some of the time. Most of the time, maybe. Secondly, leaving it all on the players, if the process is going to be that simple, means that we can grade Petten almost exclusively on outcomes. If you've got good players and you've got a simple process... The only question left is whether things work or not. If they don't work, and you've got good players, the problem is the process. And I think in 2020, we're going to get a pretty clear idea about whether or not that process is any good at all. Chances are the players aren't going to be quite as available in 2019 as they were in 2020, excuse me, as they were in 2019. The Packers were unusually healthy. There's going to be more pressure on the process for Petten. Whether or not that process works, I think is going to determine a lot of whether or not he gets a fourth year in Green Bay or if the Petten run ends at three. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. If you would like to support what we do, check us out at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Fitting that we closed out on defense because upcoming at our Patreon page next week is going to be a look at our defensive advanced metrics for 2019 that is going to be Patreon-specific. So if you want to read that content, support us on Patreon. $1 per month is all we ask from you. Uh, join up there today to get access to that and all future content. And in addition, 25% off on all of our Teespring store 
items. Look at our Patreon for more information about that. As always, though, great way to support what we do is to leave us a comment, a question, a bit of feedback, wherever you listen to the show, whether it's on YouTube, you find us on Facebook, on Twitter, or via email, wherever you find us, leave us a question, whatever, something that moves this conversation about the Packers along. Because us responding to you is going to help grow that conversation, grow our knowledge about the Packers, and in turn, help us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.